the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. This week, as the voting gets started for the 2022 election, I turn to Byron York. You know, in my just guess right now, when I look at the Senate right now, I think Republicans pick up one seat and Nevada is the place to do it. I'm a bit more bullish than Byron, including on Colorado's Joe O'Day. With record inflation, we just lost. We just lost a whole month of buying power. I mean, these guys are lost. Mike Gallagher looks at Dr. Oz's contest with John Fetterman in Pennsylvania. There is simply no way anyone is going to be able to vote for a guy who doesn't understand words. And Lonnie Chen, running for state controller out in California, looks at the key issues in this election cycle. Uh, I passed a number of gas stations in Los Angeles yesterday that were charging in excess of $8 a gallon. All this and more. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Great to be with you. Catch my program each weekday morning live, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time and on demand 24-7. Learn more at my website, HughHewitt.com. And please follow me on Twitter, at Hugh Hewitt. Follow this program as well, at Town Hall Review. The 2022 election is now on us. Early voting and absentee voting has already begun in a number of states. Of course, I am encouraging all of you to vote. But I'm also encouraging you to vote early. Make sure that your vote is part of this most critical of elections. For an overview of how things look and how to sort through the polling, I turn to Byron York of the Washington Examiner. Byron, let's start with polling. You know, uh, I look at Real Clear Politics listing every day, but I always add five to the Republican. I mean, I just do. If it's a one-point race, it's a six-point race. What do you think about polling this year? Well, um, I think it's probably wrong in a number of states. And what Real Clear Politics is trying to do right now is on a, in a more precise way what you were doing. So what they're, what they're doing is this. Uh, we know that the polls in a number of states were wrong in 2016, Trump-Clinton race. They were also wrong in 2018, the midterms, and they were wrong again in 2020, the Trump-Biden race. So what Real Clear Politics is trying to do, and, and let me say one thing, this is, this is these are not national polls. The national polls are actually a little better in those two presidential races. And also, this is just where the polls are right this moment, 28 days before the election. So what they're trying to do is they're looking at, say, Pennsylvania. Okay, The Real Clear Politics average has John Fetterman up by 3.7%. And if you look at all the polls in Pennsylvania, you're talking about 16, 20 polls going back. They all have Fetterman in the lead. So what... How did the polls do in Pennsylvania in prior years? In 2016, they had Clinton up by 8.6 at this moment. They had, uh, in 2018, they had Bob Casey up by 16. Um, and in 2020, uh, they had Biden up by 6.5. When you compare them with the final result, they overestimated Democratic uh, results by 5.9%. So it's almost exactly what you said. Yeah, add five. So you take yeah. the Fetterman and you add 5.9, and actually Dr. Oz is up by two. 
you can do this in most of the other races. As a matter of fact, uh, the Georgia polls were actually pretty good, pretty good. So it, when it says that Warnock is ahead right now, it looks like Warnock really is ahead right now. Um, Arizona polls adding a couple of points to the GOP. Uh, Nevada polls. Nevada polls are interesting because they're the only ones that underestimated to the other side. They underestimated Democratic uh, results. Still, Laxalt looks ahead in that. You know, the um, interesting part, this is a little below the headline in, in Nevada. The Harry Reid machine has fallen apart. The yeah. state Democratic Party has been taken over by the ideologues of the left. And no one will admit this out loud. That's a disaster for Democrats in Nevada. Now, the Harry, Harry Reid machine was so powerful. I went out there and recovered uh, his last reelection race. And, you know, getting the, the buses uh, to all the casinos, to all the kitchens, to all the service workers. I mean, everybody had voted for Harry Reid before Election Day. Uh, it was it was very very good, and you're right. They're they're not nearly as good at that. And that does you know in my just guess right now when I look at the Senate right now, I think Republicans pick up one seat, and Nevada is the place they do it. Uh, you know, I'm actually more optimistic than you because I think Joe O'Day is is the sort of candidate who I've watched Wayne Allard from the West Slope. Uh, Bill Armstrong, Cory Gardner, they throw a horseshoe every now and then. And although that electorate has changed dramatically over 20 years that I've been going there and uh, it's become purple and then blue. But I think it's very swingy in the off year. And I think the Latino vote is very definitely crushed. You know, you drive a long way in Denver, Byron. People go to work. If you get on the 25 or the 225, they drive a long way to go to work. So these gas prices matter a lot in Colorado. I uh, actually went out and covered uh, the race that Cory Gardner won, spent some time with him out there, and he had found kind of a formula for for dealing um, with a number of issues like immigration and had real, really attracted a lot of independent voters in addition to Republicans. So it's possible, but um, I'm sticking with my scenario right now, which is which is basically everybody holds – their uh, their seats, uh, and that's including Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz winning, Georgia, Warnock winning, uh, except in Nevada, where uh, Laxalt picks up a seat from the Democrats. Well, let me get your uh, uh, two cents on Alaska. I believe Lisa Murkowski always pulls it out, and yeah. uh, I think she will again. But yesterday, Fox News ran a story saying the challenger, whose name I can't remember, is actually pulling ahead. I, I actually think the Murkowski machine is a colder, smaller version of the Reed machine. Yeah, I think that uh, also in Alaska you do have this different uh, uh, factor, which is ranked choice voting, which a number of people believe uh, was was put in there to, to preserve Lisa Murkowski's seat, um, that it'd be, it's, it's difficult for her to lose when you get to uh, add up the, the last place finisher's vote to the leader's vote, or not to the leader's vote, but whoever they voted for second, when you take our first and second votes, then uh, it's very hard to beat her in that case. Now, Byron, I want to switch to substance for a moment as opposed to horse races. I have been of the – I'm running a column for the Washington Post. It'll be out today or tomorrow. That the hidden iceberg issue is education. I talked to one mom, just one mom, not statistically significant who pulled her kids out of public school. They're in Catholic school. At every level, education has collapsed in the last two years, or at least it has become visible to parents 
how ideological and incompetent schools are and how teachers unions are running the show. I think this is a giant iceberg of an issue in a swing demographic that's poorly covered. What does Byron York think? Well, I think that that it's a different issue than it was ever before uh, because of what happened during the pandemic, which was not only were, uh, you know, parents angry when their children, uh, when when schools closed and they had to have their children at home, they're not happy about that. Uh, They also saw when their children were taking Zoom classes what their children were being taught. And I think you had more parental exposure to school curricula than you had ever, ever had uh, before. And that has changed this. You know, one small thing, uh, Randy Weingarten, the head of the uh, teachers union, who really was responsible for a lot of schools staying closed, fought hard to close schools and keep them closed. Um, She is now in Ukraine right now, sort of looking at the situation uh, for children in Ukraine, which is terrible because there's a terrible war going on. Um, but when, when, this, when she tweets about this, the blowback is huge. Like, haven't you done enough to hurt schools in the United States? Do you, do you have Yeah, to she is perhaps the, the least effective leader of that union ever. Absolutely. And, and so I, I think parents uh, correctly place blame on the teachers' unions and on Democrats who, who can – they can say now – that they were all for keeping the schools open, you know, they, but you, you can't change their record, which is they were responsible for keeping schools closed. The Senate contest in Colorado that you heard me touch on with Byron York just a minute ago is a race to watch. Joe O'Day is a business owner. He's in touch with the average citizen in Colorado, and he's been a terrific candidate. He was a guest on my program for an update on his efforts there in the Centennial State. How do you close the last 30 days, Joe? I mean, what's the plan? Well, we, you know, I've been the underdog all my life. We just keep working hard. I got my nose to the grindstone. We're talking about the issues that matter to working Americans. They're, they're going to the, do it themselves. They're unhappy. This all-time high crime, uh, inflation out of control. All I got to do is talk about it. That, that's what they're talking about. And, and they're ready for a change. We're just going to grind out these last 30 days. I don't know if debates were ever part of the plan. I know you were open to them, but I think Michael Bennett was hiding. Are there going to be any debates in Colorado? It looks like I've got one. Uh, he, last minute, we're going to be on a Friday night at uh, 7 o'clock, on, on, uh, finally uh, here the 28th. But, you know, ballots will have been out for a week the, and a half. So, the 28th? Yeah, yeah. Michael Bennett agreed to debate you on the 28th of October? Well, they're, they're all on the Joe Biden program hiding in the basement, right? They oh, my goodness. You know, that should cost them the election right there. And now, I know why I didn't want to debate. Mark Kelly debated Blake Masters last week, and he got sliced and diced on the border, Joe. And, I mean, he just said, why did you vote for 87,000 IRS agents and the border is open? And Mark Kelly went, abba, dabba, dabba. Mike Bennett will be the same thing, right? I mean, there's just no answer for the border. Exactly. Exactly. And 87,000 IRS agents shaking down working Americans with record inflation. We just lost. We just lost a whole month of buying power. I mean, these guys are lost. 
Well, I don't know what gas prices are doing in Denver. In Nevada, where Adam Laxalt is winning, they're over $6 a gallon. In California, where congressmen are going to be elected in districts where Democrats are now, but, for example, Scott Baugh is going to beat Katie Porter, gas is $7 a gallon. What is it in Denver, Metro Joe? It's three seventy-five a gallon and on its way back up. It's headed right. up now. And, and how about food prices in Colorado? I just paid $4.88 for eggs, a dozen eggs, if you can believe that. It's almost double what it's been. Prices are up 20% here at the grocery store. Uh, it's just not a good situation for working Americans. Uh, Joe, you've run a campaign, which I think is admirable and not appealing to ethnicity or race. But the New York Times wrote a warning story that Latinos are voting for Republicans as though it's the end of the world. What have you found in the Spanish speaking community? Uh, You know, the same thing you're finding in every community. People are upset about the price of groceries, the price of of their rents. Uh, They just they want their lives back. They're worried about it. And crime is running rampant through the Hispanic communities right now. It's 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 really bad up here in the in the North Denver, uh, Westminster, Thornton. Those guys are feeling it. Uh, so it's going to be a great November 8th. I'm not I'm, I'm we're just working hard. Coming up, watching John Fetterman. There is simply no way anyone is going to be able to vote for a guy who doesn't understand words. Mike Gallagher looks at the Senate contest in Pennsylvania when the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. Grounded in our distinctive Great Books curriculum, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy prepares students for exciting careers in politics who understand the relevance of America's founding principles to today's policy challenges. From our Southern California campus, we've sent over a 1,000 alumni across America and around the world. The application period for fall 2022 classes has begun. Find out more at pepperdine.edu spp. That's pepperdine.edu spp. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. The Senate contest in Pennsylvania is another one to watch, currently held by the Republican Pat Toomey, who decided not to run for another term. So, for the GOP, this seat is considered a hold. That is, they have to hold it if they're going to change the composition of the upper chamber in their favor. The polling is closing. Dr. Oz is doing well. And he's helped by the fact that he's facing a radical in John Fetterman. Pennsylvania's Lieutenant Governor Fetterman has been avoiding media and avoiding debates in the wake of his stroke in May of this year. I've said this numerous times. We wish him well, but there are very major concerns. Here's my colleague, Mike Gallagher. Being able to comprehend what another person says to you has to be a requirement to be a United States Senator. You're going to have to be able to comprehend what other senators say. You're going to have to be able to process what a human being says to you. For example, if I had a medical condition, I'm talking about me, Mike Gallagher, that prevented me from understanding what you're saying. Not that I can't, I I have a hearing problem. Rush Limbaugh had a hearing problem, and he had a cochlear implant and was able to fix that. Having a hearing problem isn't a disqualifier. Being able to comprehend what another human says to you is not a hearing problem. But it's but it does have to be 
a, 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 a mandatory requirement to be a U.S. senator, right? Listen to NBC News correspondent Dasha Burns yesterday, who was tasked with the very challenging process of interviewing somebody who is right now the leading candidate to win senator in Pennsylvania. Listen to what Dasha Burns said about their ill-fated interview with John Fetterman. Uh, we had a monitor set up so that he could read my questions because he still has lingering auditory processing issues as a result of the stroke, which means he has a hard time understanding what he's hearing. Now, once he reads the question, he's able to understand. You'll hear he also still has some uh, problems, some challenges with speech. And I'll say, Katie, that just in some of the small talk prior to uh, the interview before the closed captioning was up and running, it did seem that uh, he had a hard time understanding our our conversation. We saw and heard there the auditory processing challenges, the speech challenges. I've spoken with stroke experts. They say folks can fully recover from that. But the caveat that every expert gives is that they can't fully assess a patient without details on their health records, without uh, that information that the campaign has yet to disclose. We've asked multiple times for medical records. We've asked uh, for interviews with someone from his medical team. Those requests have so far been denied to NBC News and other outlets that have requested this. Now, again, auditory processing, that's a polite way of saying somebody isn't comprehending words. I I have a heart for the hurting. I I don't like anybody suffering and... I do have sympathy for John Fetterman's medical condition. Being a senator is a very, very important responsibility. There is simply no way anyone is going to be able to vote for a guy who doesn't understand words. I don't know how else to put it. My old home state of California has a number of interesting contests to watch this cycle. In addition to the congressional contest, redrawn as a result of the latest census, there's a statewide contest to watch. Lon He Chen, old friend of mine and a fellow at the Hoover Institution, is running for state controller in this single-party state, this deep blue state. And Lon He just might win. He was a guest on my program. Now, when you first talked to me about this more than a year ago, that you were thinking about trying to bring some accountability to California, the controller runs the finances, I don't think I was the most enthusiastic person you called because it's such a blue state. And here you are leading. I, I, I am abashed at my uh, lack of faith in the California electorate. Well, you know, I do think there comes a point at which people realize that, that things are not going right. Uh, and whether it's because of soaring gas prices or the homelessness crisis or what we see throughout the state in terms of a uh, uh, number of public schools not performing where they should be, I mean, all of these challenges, Hugh, these challenges are big challenges, but I think they're solvable ones. And at some point, people say, you know what? We want to get some accountability for the money we're spending. California spends $300 billion a year, and we have very little accountability for where that money goes. And, and I just think at some point you, you do reach a, uh, uh, a level of dissatisfaction, and I think we're seeing that in the electorate right now. And I think that explains why there is so much support for my candidacy and why I think we're going to do very, very well here in a couple of weeks. 
I want to talk about some big issues and some micro issues. Big issue. California knows that homelessness is chronic. The worst place is Los Angeles County and city with 70,000 combined homeless. And I'm not sure that that's up to speed. Voters in Los Angeles County have repeatedly voted billions to take care of this problem, Lonnie. Where does the money go? Well, this is one of the first things we need to do is to really get a handle on where all that money is being spent. If you look across the entire state of California over the last several years, we have spent in excess of $20 billion on homelessness. And the problem has gotten worse. In fact, there was a report out this morning that suggests the problem has worsened even more over the course of the last year when we've poured more and more money in. One program in Los Angeles, the city of Los Angeles alone, spent about $800,000 per homeless person to house them. I mean, $800,000, think about that for a minute, Hugh. You could have moved that person to a different state, bought them a home, and they'd still have a checking account with money left in it after they were done. So Bought them a home and and provided in-home care for their recovery from whatever it is that ails them. Yeah, I mean, so the reality is we need to do a much better job of ensuring accountability and transparency for where the money is going. And unfortunately, in many local jurisdictions, we're not getting that transparency. We're certainly not getting it at the state level. And so that's something we absolutely need to be focused on. Big problem in California that's getting worse. Chen for California.com. I'm sure you need money. California needs you. How do you feel about the race, especially with, with gas price? I mean, six and a half dollars a gallon. How does any Democrat win in California? Well, the gas prices have spiked, particularly in the, in the course of the last couple of weeks. I mean, we have seen, uh, I passed a number of gas stations in Los Angeles yesterday that were charging in excess of $8 a gallon. I mean, this is, this is remarkable what's going on. Um, the, the race itself is shaping up well in the sense that we have both the resources and the campaign over the next couple of weeks to make the case that we need change in California. And, you know, it's a tough state to win in. I don't want to sugarcoat it. We've got a tremendous number of, uh, of people who are not used to seeing a competitive Republican campaign, who are not used to seeing somebody get out there and make the argument that we need to have transparency and accountability, but we also need to have balance in state government. And the reason why I feel actually fairly confident that we can attract the support of Democrats and independents uh, to our cause is because we already have. I've gotten endorsed by every single major newspaper in the state. Not a single one has endorsed my opponent. That includes newspapers like the Los Angeles Times and the Sacramento Bee that never, almost never endorse Republicans. I've gotten their support because they believe the controller in California needs to be as independent from the party in power as possible. Coming up. If we put forth a happy warrior mindset and a positive view of what conservatism can accomplish for the American people, just like Reagan did, we do that, we'll win for 50 years. Dan Crenshaw, the Texas congressman, former SEAL, when the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, Charlie Kirk here. We've been working very hard on an amazing new docuseries called Border Battle. It chronicles the horrifying conditions on America's southern border. What you are going to see in Border Battle will blow your mind. It's amazing. First-hand interviews, incredible commentary, straight up on the front lines. We've worked very hard on this from Turning Point USA, and we are exposing the border crisis. Available exclusively on SalemNow.com. Produced by Turning Point USA. Available at SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. 2022 is a particularly critical election cycle. 
I say that because Democrats have become so radical. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez seems like an outlier in her party when she ousted incumbent Joe Crowley in 2018. Today, just four years later, the radical Democrat is pretty much the norm. There are some exceptions. But even Joe Biden was elected as the moderate I'm-not-Bernie candidate, and yet he's governed with an agenda to the left of his old boss and predecessor, Barack Obama. Does the radicalism of today's Democrats open a door for Republicans? Dennis Prager turned to Texas Congressman and former Navy SEAL Dan Crenshaw. I think you understand the existential threat of the left. I'm not talking about liberals, I'm talking about the left. And I don't think that a lot of Republicans, colleagues of yours, do. Is, is, that, a, is that an unfair characterization? Well, it, it's just it's it's incomplete, I think. But so I, I think they understand it, but I think it's shallow. I think the understanding is is shallow, and I and I and, and very not enough people take the next step, which is how do we actually fight it? And so what a lot of people do to quote unquote fight that far left is really just at worst pick the scabs of conservative grievances constantly, and and that's a good way to fundraise, it's a good way to gain attention, but you're only gaining attention from your base. It might be fun to, you know, to rally and, and, and throw out that red meat. And it, like, it's always necessary to like amp up your activists because they're the ones who get out there and work. Like, so I'm not saying you shouldn't do a lot of this stuff. But if you're not doing the second part, which is to, to figure out how your message sounds to people who disagree with you and then how to persuade them, then we're not actually doing our base any favors. You know, fighting for our base should mean persuading others to see it our way. That's the that's true fighting when it comes to politics. That's winning. You know, it's not enough to fight. You got to win. I think we all agree on on what the dangers are of, uh, of the left, um, but we but there's severe d- d- division on the Republican side about how exactly to fight that and how to strategize. And a lot of that division seems very man- very manufactured to me. And we need to get past it. We need to get past it. And, you know, the left has discredited themselves. I think they're very easy to beat. I think Democrats are easy to beat for the next 50 years. If we put forth a happy warrior mindset and a positive view of what conservatism can accomplish for the American people, just like Reagan did, we do that, we'll win for 50 years. The Democratic Party is not the Democratic Party, as they say, of my father. Many of its leaders supported defunding police. They all seem to support open borders. And the, the crime, wherever Democrats are in charge, is frightening. Explain to me your colleagues who are Democrats, and how do you get along with them? Yeah, it's a great question. It's, um, yeah, because, I mean, there's a lot to say here. And one, one, you know, they're not all the same. Um, so that, that's, of course, one aspect of it. There are, there are some decent ones that you can probably work with. But, but work with on what? You know, and that, that's another question, right? It depends on the issue. On, on certain issues, it does seem that they're aligned in this very, very radical, radical position. Uh, you brought up open borders. I mean, and so and what they'll do is they'll be clever about it. They'll talk out of both sides of their mouth and say, of course, we're not for open borders. Well, you're just not for enforcing any of the laws that would actually fix this problem. Well, yeah, exactly, because that would be incompassionate. And so, like, you know, and you, you know very well how they sort of, mealy mouth their way out of that problem. Um, the, now, another thing, that's like a social dynamic that I'll say about the Democrat Party, and this, this is this is why I can try to convince people that even your well-intentioned liberalism is still a, a path to this progressivism, because well-intentioned liberalism isn't really anchored in, in very succinct and defined uh, principles. 
Now, they'll say differently, right? They'll say, well, you know, we care about equality. We care about justice. And, you know, this is the kind of thing that a good-natured liberal will say, right? But what do they mean by that? I mean, first of all, they redefine those words pretty drastically. They don't mean those words in the classical sense. You know, they mean equity. They don't necessarily mean equality. They mean, they mean, they mean doing favors for a certain group. They don't necessarily mean justice. They mean social justice and environmental justice. And so, so, so they definitely redefine things. But, but even if they don't, they don't have limiting principles. And this is a really big difference between conservatives and liberals, and it's something that conservatives should really amplify as what, as what distinguishes us, because those limiting principles dictate how we will solve problems. It is, it, it's like a roadmap for how we look at a policy. You know, we ask questions like, does this infringe on individual rights? Should it be solved at the local level or state level or federal level? What are the costs? Is that sustainable? What are the second, third order consequences? These are all limiting principle conservative things to ask. The liberals ask none of these questions. They just ask, does this make us feel good? It is very easy for, 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 for very extreme progressives to therefore persuade and control good-natured liberals. And so that's what you see in the Democrat Party. There are still plenty of good-natured liberals, honestly, but they are very easily controlled by the radical progressives. They, they, they have a vacuum in their philosophy, and it's easily filled by the progressive left. Coming up. The reason why I think it's going to get better is we have just educated Republicans to get involved in their elections. Rick Grinnell, when the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. This is Molly Hemingway. In 2020, millions of Americans experienced the most troubling election of their lives. That's why I wrote the book Rigged, how big tech, the media, and Democrats seized our elections. I write about Mark Zuckerberg's efforts to take over election operations in key states, how the coronavirus was used to force election laws designed explicitly to help the Democrat Party, and much, much more. It's now in paperback. Don't miss Molly Hemingway's book Rigged, how the media, big tech, and the Democrats seized our elections. Available wherever books are sold. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Leaving California, the trend we've heard about over the last couple of years, a decade actually. For the first time in the state's history, they lost a congressional seat as a result of the latest census, going from 53 to 52. And that doesn't account for the 275,000 that the Golden State lost last year alone. We pulled up stakes in 2016, my wife and I, and all three of our kids educated in California have settled all of them with their children on the East Coast. Rick Grinnell is former acting director of the United States National Intelligence under President Trump. He talked to my colleague Kevin McCullough about his efforts in his organization, Fix California. From AM790, The Answer in New York. You're saying that um, the rest of the country shouldn't give up on California. Why? What, what happens in California absolutely impacts the rest of the country. I mean, sanctuary cities were uh, designed here. The Speaker of the House is from here. Uh, the Vice President of the United States is from here. Secretary of HHS is from here. Uh, we, we impact the rest of the world. And we need to recognize that we even have an impact on politics. California has become the ATM for the rest of the country. I can tell you, New Jersey and New York politicians regularly come through California to collect money. And so I, I see us as a very powerful entity. I also don't see us um, out, you know, we're very progressive now, but the people of California are not innately progressive. 
they like to try things first, but they quickly move on when something fails. I would say that's where we are failing right now is to educate the California voter who's very apathetic, especially conservative voters, about what's happening. And and so I'm the cheerleader um, saying it's time we get our team back on the field. We found through my organization called Fix California, we found 1.4 million conservatives in California unregistered to vote. Wow. Now think, think about that. They're on the sidelines. We have a major problem in our state with gun owners who will not register to vote because they don't want the state knowing their information. Right. That's got to change. We've got to start educating people that they have to get involved. They can't sit on the sidelines. And, I, and I'll say this. We have more California Republicans and more money for conservative causes in California than almost any state. Hmm. We are a huge state with a huge Republican base of support and voters and money. Our problem is, is that we're just not the majority. Well, you know, that's that's the best news, Rick, I've heard coming out of California in a long time. And when I see only the headlines of Newsom taking the state out of the Joint Terrorism Task Force, which I don't know if people fully understand how significant that is. But if you if you as a state are not putting any boundaries to people coming into the state, and then you're saying we're not even working with the feds to ferret out terrorism. There's all kinds of chicanery that could be, uh, at you know, flaming up within your your borders there. And it's just I, I know with all the corporations that have left and the tax burden that's there and the homelessness. I mean, people, members of our family have moved and said, I don't know if we'll be back. Uh, it just became a place that they didn't recognize anymore. Let me because I want to well, let me add let me add one quick point there is, sure. is I want to I also want to be clear is that the people leaving California are conservatives. You know, this whole media narrative that somehow they're they're uh, blue voters going into other states. That's just not true. No. The people giving up on California are the conservatives who say, I can't deal with it any, anymore. Yeah. So yeah. other states like Nevada are actually getting good conservative voters, and we are becoming more blue. And that's why there, there's an outrage of the people that are, that are left. We live on the ocean, and our governor tells us to conserve water. We have to unplug our appliances at 4 o'clock because we don't have energy supply. This is literally what California has become, and it's very sad to people. We are the biggest state. We are the best state. We should absolutely be leading on ideas, and we're not. Do you believe that the 2022 cycle is going to have more integrity to it in places like Wisconsin, Nevada, Georgia, Arizona, simply because uh, voters were so concerned about what happened in, in the last election? Well, I think definitely there's going to be more integrity, but uh, it remains to be seen on whether or not there's enough. Let, let's be really clear. The Democrats told us for a very long time, uh, as they're in charge of counties and big cities and counting the votes, they told us that politicians could not impact uh, elections and that we had the safest elections around. Now, remember that Democrats have spent an enormous amount of time telling us that election integrity is a phony issue because we have the safest elections and politicians can't manipulate elections. Now, what we see is a panic from the Democrats as and the media who are highlighting all of these 
skeptics about our elections as candidates running for office. They're very nervous that, that, that candidates who are skeptical about the safety of our elections are running. And they're saying those people are attacking our democracy. They don't get to have it both ways. Either politicians can impact elections or they can't hmm. because they told us that politicians can't in, in impact our elections, which is why the 2020 argument that it was the safest election ever, uh, their position, um, is suddenly looking like a hypocritical statement as they're panicking about all these Republicans who are now engaged and running for office. So my point is the reason why I think it's going to get better is we have just educated Republicans to get involved in their elections. We yep. used to have trouble having poll watchers when when counties and election uh, leaders would would call for the public to poll watch. A whole bunch of Democrats would show up and we couldn't get enough Republicans to show up. Well, now I think a whole bunch of mama bears who are Republicans are going to show up with their phone and they're not going to give an inch. Yeah. If that ballot is invalid or looks suspicious, they're going to challenge it. And we're going to we're going to demand that when you show up at the polls, you use an ID. This is uh, I think the ID has got to be one of the things that the Republican Party hangs its hat on. Yeah, we we demand safety. We demand that the other side doesn't cheat. And one way to do it, which everyone knows, is supported by 85 to 90 percent of the public, yep. is to show up with an ID. Why did we get put into a corner as Republicans that asking someone to show an ID to vote is somehow racist? And then we back down from the fight. I'm not backing down. Yeah. Show an ID or you're a cheater. Coming up. We have a secure border. Charlie Kirk responds in the final segment of the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Hi, I'm Georgine Rice. This week in the Christian Outlook, sponsored by the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. The administration commemorates International Day of the Girl. The irony wasn't lost on Albert Moeller. This White House doesn't really know what a woman is either and sometimes appears to deny the very existence of women until it's politically expedient to speak on behalf of girls and women. And then all of a sudden, they seem to know who females are. Our military has bought into the same gender confusion and is paying the price. The Army enlisted just 75% of its target. How did we get here? What was unthinkable 10 years ago is unquestionable today. And what the church needs to do. The church needs to get men together, doing things together, or serving together. Be sure to join us and visit our website at ChristianOutlook.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. For more than 15 years now, I have been arguing and printing on the air for a wall on the southern border. In 2022, the fact that we have not completed such a wall, coupled with the virtual open border policy from the Biden administration, that has left us all with a crisis. President Biden and Vice President Harris message one way. We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. But anyone who's paying attention knows better. Charlie Kirk and the team at Turning Point USA have created a series, now available at SalemNow.com, called Border Battle. Charlie joined my colleague Mike Gallagher. 
I just finished Border Battle. Charlie, I know you're proud of so so much of the work that you and Turning Point USA have, have done, but this has got to be at the top of the list. The work is important. It's crucial. Uh, tell us about Border Battle and share with us how proud you must be about your efforts with this. Yeah, I'm extremely proud. Uh, and look, this is not a political docu-series. It's all about education, and it's about telling people really what's happening on the southern border. So I live in a border state, Arizona. I live in Scottsdale. And every single day, we see uh, something negative, something awful that is because of our porous and open southern border. Drugs, crime, homelessness, vagrancy, you know, overpopulated schools. And, you know, people in the local community, even living in Arizona, would say, you know, what's really going on on the southern border? And so, you know, we're doing a lot of things at Turning Point USA. I'm on tour right now at University of Texas, Austin. We're doing events all across America, starting high school chapters and starting college chapters. And despite, you know, in addition to all of that, I said, why don't we go and tell the story of what's happening on the American southern border, wherever the facts may lead us, kind of doing what the media should be doing, Mike, and just Mm -hmm. going out and looking at carnage and looking at the crime and looking at the drugs. And so we really embedded ourselves with Border Patrol. We embedded ourselves with Sheriff Mark Lamb for weeks, for months. We sent an entire film crew there, you know, on the southern border. And, you know, it, it is so eye opening. You, you saw it, Mike. It's incredible uh, when you actually see firsthand, you know, two things, how bad it actually is and how fixable it is. And so I really encourage your audience to go to SalemNow.com to check out Border Battle. They can use promo code Kirk or Gallagher or whatever. I don't, I don't really care. And check it out. It's uh, all produced by Turning Point USA, our nonprofit. Again, you know, some people will try to politicize this. That's fine. Obviously, we're going to do that at the event. But this is bigger than politics, Mike. This is about facts. It's about truth. It's about our nation. It's about our country. And it's about life or death. I mean, Charlie, let's face it. This is this is truly a life or death matter. You have been really a leading voice about the fentanyl crisis and how it connects to the border crisis. And 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 I'm so grateful for, for your voice on this, and I am grateful for Border Battle. Go to SalemNow.com, as Charlie said, to watch this crucial, crucial uh, multi-part series. You're going you're gonna to walk away, and, and as Charlie said, there, there's an answer to this. Thanks for joining us today. Once again, you can catch the six-part series, Border Battle, at SalemNow.com. If you haven't signed up for our podcast yet, why not take a minute to do so now? Go to townhallreview.com. Special thanks to executive producer Russell Shubin, producers David Pochon, Michael Cook, Jacob Ordunia, Tim Gantner, Adam Ramsey, and of course, Dwayne Patterson. Let me say thanks once again to our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for joining us. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.